Chapters 21 and 22 of Don Quixote, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Don Quixote, Volume 2, by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by John Ormsby. Chapter 21, in which Camacho's wedding is continued with other delightful incidents. While Don Quixote and Sancho were engaged in the discussion set forth the last chapter, they heard loud shouts and a great noise, which were uttered and made by the men on the mares, as they went at full gallop, shouting to receive the bride and bridegroom, who were approaching with musical instruments and pageantry of all sorts around them, and accompanied by the priest and the relatives of both, and all the most distinguished people of the surrounding villages. When Sancho saw the bride, he exclaimed, "'By my faith!' She is not dressed like a country girl, but like some fine court lady. Egad, as well as I can make out, the patina she wears rich coral, and her green cuenca stuff is thirty-pile velvet, and then the white linen trimming by my oath, but it's satin. Look at her hands, jet rings on them. May I never have luck if they're not gold rings, and real gold, and set with pearls as white as a curdled milk, and every one of them worth an eye of one's head. Oh, son baggage, what hair she has! If it's not a wig, I never saw longer or fairer all the days of my life. See how bravely she bears herself, and her shape. Wouldn't you say she was like a walking palm-tree, loaded with clusters of dates, for the trinkets she has hanging from her hair and neck look just like them? I swear in my heart she is a brave lass, and fit to pass over the banks of Flanders. Don Quixote laughed at Sancho's boorish eulogies, and thought that, saving his lady Dulcinea del Toboso, he had never seen a more beautiful woman. The fair Quiteria appeared somewhat pale, which was no doubt because of the bad night brides always pass, dressing themselves out for their wedding on the morrow. They advanced towards a theatre that stood on one side of the meadow, decked with carpets and boughs, where they were to plight their troth, and from which they were to behold the dances and plays. But at the moment of their arrival at the spot they heard a loud outcry behind them, and a voice exclaiming, "'Wait a little, ye as inconsiderate as ye are hasty!' At these words all turned round, and perceived that the speaker was a man clad in what seemed to be a loose black coat, garnished with crimson patches like flames. He was crowned, as was presently seen, with a crown of gloomy cypress, and in his hand he held a long staff. As he approached, he was recognized by everyone as the gay Basilio, and all waited anxiously to see what would come of his words, in dread of some catastrophe in consequence of his appearance at such a moment. He came up at last, weary and breathless, and planting himself in front of the bridal pair, drove his staff, which had a steel spike at the end, into the ground, and with a pale face and eyes fixed on Quiteria, 
he thus addressed her in a hoarse trembling voice well dost thou know ungrateful quiteria that according to the holy law we acknowledge so long as live thou canst take no husband nor art thou ignorant either that in my hopes that time and my own exertions would improve my fortunes i have never failed to observe the respect due to thy honour but thou casting behind thee all thou owest to my true love would surrender what is mine to another whose wealth serves to bring him not only good fortune but supreme happiness and now to complete it not that i think he deserves it but inasmuch as heaven is pleased to bestow it upon him i will with my own hands do away with the obstacle that may interfere with it and remove myself from between you long live the rich camacho many a happy year may he live with the ungrateful quiteria and let the poor basilio die basilio whose poverty clipped the wings of his happiness and brought him to the grave and so saying he seized the staff he had riven into the ground and leaving one half of it fixed there showed it to be a sheath that concealed a tolerably long rapier and what may be called its hilt being planted in the ground he swiftly coolly and deliberately threw himself upon it and in an instant the bloody point and half the steel blade appeared at his back the unhappy man falling to the earth bathed in his blood and transfixed by his own weapon his friends at once ran to his aid filled with grief at his misery and sad fate and don quixote dismounting from rocinante hastened to support him and took him in his arms and found he had not yet ceased to breathe they were about to draw out the rapier but the priest who was standing by objected to its being withdrawn before he had confessed him as the instant of its withdrawal would be that of his death basilio however reviving slightly said in a weak voice as though in pain if thou wouldst consent cruel quiteria to give me thy hand as my bride in this last fatal moment i might still hope that my rashness would find pardon as by its means i attained the bliss of being thine hearing this the priest bade him think of the welfare of his soul rather than of the cravings of the body and in all earnestness implore god's pardon for his sins and for his rash resolve to which basilio replied that he was determined not to confess until quiteria first gave him her hand in marriage for that happiness would compose his mind and give him courage to make his confession don quixote hearing the wounded man's entreaty exclaimed aloud that what basilio asked was just and reasonable and moreover a request that might be easily complied with and that it would be as much to Signor Camacho's honor to receive the lady Quiteria as the widow of the brave Basilio, as if he received her direct from her father. In this case, said he, it will be only to say yes, and no consequences can follow the utterances of the word, for the nuptial couch of this marriage must be the grave. Camacho was listening to all this, 
perplexed and bewildered, and not knowing what to say or do, but so urgent were the entreaties of Basilio's friends, imploring him to allow Quiteria to give him her hand, so that his soul, quitting this life in despair, should not be lost, that they moved, nay, forced him, to say that if Quiteria were willing to give it, he was satisfied, as it was only putting off the fulfillment of his wishes for a moment. At once all assailed Quiteria and pressed her, some with prayers, and others with tears, and others with persuasive arguments, to give her hand to poor Basilio. But she, harder than marble and more unmoved than any statue, seemed unable or unwilling to utter a word, nor would she have given any reply, had not the priest bade her decide quickly what she meant to do, as Basilio now had his soul at his teeth, and there was no time for hesitation. On this the fair Quiteria, to all appearance distressed, grieved, and repentant, advanced without a word to where Basilio lay, his eyes already turned in his head, his breathing short and painful, murmuring the name of Quiteria between his teeth, and apparently about to die like a heathen and not like a Christian. Quiteria approached him, and, kneeling, demanded his hand by signs, without speaking. Basilio opened his eyes, and, gazing fixedly at her, said, O oh, Quiteria, why hast thou turned compassionate at a moment when thy compassion will serve as a dagger to rob me of my life? for I have not now the strength left, either to bear the happiness thou givest me in accepting me as thine, or to suppress the pain that is rapidly drawing the dread shadow of death over my eyes. What I entreat of thee, O thou fatal star to me, is that the hand thou demandest of me, and wouldst give me, be not given out of compliance, or to deceive me afresh, but that thou confess and declare that without any constraint upon thy will thou givest it to me as thy lawful husband. For it is not meet that thou shouldst trifle with me at such a moment as this, or have recourse to falsehoods with one who has dealt so truly by thee. While uttering these words he showed such weakness that the bystanders expected each return of faintness would take his life with it. Then Quiteria, overcome with modesty and shame, holding in her right hand the hand of Basilio, said, No force would bend my will. As freely, therefore, as it is possible for me to do so, I give thee the hand of a lawful wife, and take thine, if thou givest it to me, of thine own free will untroubled and unaffected by the calamity thy hasty act has brought upon thee. Yes, I give it, said Basilio, not agitated or distracted, but with unclouded reason that heaven is pleased to grant me. Thus do I give myself to be thy husband. And I give myself to be thy wife, said Quiteria, whether thou livest many years, or they carry thee from my arms to the grave. For one so badly wounded, observed Sancho at this point, this young man has a great deal to say. They should make him leave off billing and cooing, and attend to his soul, for to my thinking he has it more on his tongue than at his teeth. 
Basilio and Quiteria, having thus joined hands, the priest, deeply moved and with tears in his eyes, pronounced the blessing upon them, and implored heaven to grant an easy passage to the soul of the newly wedded man, who, the instant he received the blessing, started nimbly to his feet, and with unparalleled effrontery pulled out the rapier that had been sheathed in his body. All the bystanders were astounded, and some, more simple than inquiring, began shouting, A miracle! A miracle! But Basilio replied, No miracle, no miracle, only a trick! A trick! The priest, perplexed and amazed, made haste to examine the wound with both hands, and found that the blade had passed not through Basilio's flesh and ribs, but through a hollow iron tube full of blood, which he had adroitly fixed at the place, the blood, as was afterwards ascertained, having been so prepared as not to congeal. In short, the priest and Camacho, and most of those present, saw they were tricked and made fools of. The bride showed no signs of displeasure at the deception. On the contrary, hearing them say that the marriage, being fraudulent, would not be valid, she said that she confirmed it afresh, whence they all concluded that the affair had been planned by agreement and understanding between the pair, whereat Camacho and his supporters were so mortified that they proceeded to revenge themselves by violence, and a great number of them, drawing their swords, attacked Basilio, in whose protection as many more swords were in an instant unsheathed, while Don Quixote, taking the lead on horseback, with his lance over his arm and well covered with his shield, made all give way before him. Sancho, who never found any pleasure or enjoyment in such doings, retreated to the wine-jars from which he had taken his delectable skimmings, considering that, as a holy place, that spot would be respected. "'Hold, sirs, hold!' cried Don Quixote in a loud voice. "'We have no right to take vengeance for wrongs that love may do to us.' Remember, love and war are the same thing, and as in war it is allowable and common to make use of wiles and stratagems to overcome an enemy, so in the contests and rivalries of love the tricks and devices employed to attain the desired end are justifiable, provided they be not to the discredit or dishonor of the loved object. Quiteria belonged to Basilio, and Basilio to Quiteria, by the just and beneficent disposal of heaven. Camacho is rich, and can purchase his pleasure, when, where, and as it pleases him. Basilio has but this ewe lamb, and no one, however powerful he may be, shall take her from him. These two whom God hath joined man cannot separate, and he who attempts it must first pass the point of this lance and so saying he brandished it so stoutly and so dexterously that he overawed all who did not know him but so deep an impression had the rejection of quiteria made on camacho's mind that it banished her at once from his thoughts and so the counsels of the priest who was a wise and kindly disposed man prevailed with him and by their means he and his partisans were pacified and tranquillized and to prove it put up their swords again, inveighing against the pliancy of Quiteria rather than the craftiness of Basilio. 
Camacho maintaining that if Quiteria as a maiden had such a love for Basilio, she would have loved him too as a married woman, and that he ought to thank heaven more for having taken her than for having given her. Camacho and those of his following, therefore, being consoled and pacified, those on Basilio's side were appeased, and the rich Camacho, to show that he felt no resentment for the trick, and did not care about it, desired the festival to go on just as if he were married in reality. Neither Basilio, however, nor his bride, nor the followers would take any part in it, and they withdrew to Basilio's village. For the poor, if they are persons of virtue and good sense, have those who follow, honor, and uphold them, just as the rich have those who flatter and dance attendance on them. With them they carried Don Quixote, regarding him as a man of worth and a stout one. Sancho alone had a cloud on his soul, for he found himself debarred from waiting for Camacho's splendid feast and festival, which lasted until night, and thus dragged away he moodily followed his master who accompanied basilio's party and left behind him the flesh-pots of egypt though in his heart he took them with him and their now nearly finished skimmings that he carried in the bucket conjured up visions before his eyes of the glory and abundance of the good cheer he was losing and so, vexed and dejected, though not hungry, without dismounting from Dapple, he followed in the footsteps of Rocinante. End chapter 21 Chapter 22 Wherein is related the grand adventure of the cave of Montesinos in the heart of La Mancha, which the valiant Don Quixote brought to a happy termination. Many and great were the attentions shown to Don Quixote by the newly married couple, who felt themselves under an obligation to him for coming forward in defense of their cause, and they exalted his wisdom to the same level with his courage, rating him as a Cid in arms and a Cicero in eloquence. Worthy Sancho enjoyed himself for three days at the expense of the pair, from whom they learned that the sham wound was not a scheme arranged with the fair Quiteria, but a device of Basilio's, who counted on exactly the result they had seen. He confessed, it is true, that he had confided his idea to some of his friends, so that at the proper time they might aid him in his purpose and ensure the success of the deception. That said Don Quixote, is not, and ought not, to be called deception, which aims at virtuous ends, and the marriage of lovers he maintained to be a most excellent end, reminding them, however, that love has no greater enemy than hunger and constant want, for love is all gaiety, enjoyment, and happiness, especially when the lover is in the possession of the object of his love and poverty and want are the declared enemies of all these, which he said to urge Signor Basilio to abandon the practice of those accomplishments he was skilled in, for though they brought him fame, they brought him no money, and apply himself to the acquisition of wealth by legitimate industry, which will never fail those who are prudent and persevering. 
the poor man who is a man of honor if indeed a poor man can be a man of honor has a jewel when he has a fair wife and if she is taken from him his honor is taken from him and slain the fair woman who is a woman of honor and whose husband is poor deserves to be crowned with the laurels and crowns of victory and triumph Beauty by itself attracts the desires of all who behold it, and the royal eagles and birds of towering flight stoop on it as a dainty lure. But if beauty be accompanied by want and penury, then the ravens and the kites and other birds of prey assail it, and she who stands firm against such attacks well deserves to be called the crown of her husband." remember o oh prudent basilio added don quixote it was the opinion of a certain sage i know not whom that there was not more than one good woman in the whole world and his advice was that each one should think and believe that this one good woman was his own wife and in this way he would live happy I myself am not married nor so far has it ever entered my thoughts to be so nevertheless i would venture to give advice to any one who might ask it as to the mode in which he should seek a wife such as he would be content to marry the first thing i would recommend him would be to look to good name rather than to wealth for a good woman does not win a good name merely by being good but by letting it be seen that she is so and open looseness and freedom do much more damage to a woman's honor than secret depravity if you take a good woman into your house it will be an easy matter to keep her good and even to make her still better but if you take a bad one you will find it hard work to mend her for it is no very easy matter to pass from one extreme to another i do not say it is impossible but i look upon it as difficult sancho listening to all this said to himself this master of mine when i say anything that has weight and substance says i might take a pulpit in hand and go about the world preaching fine sermons but I say of him that when he begins stringing maxims together and giving advice, not only might he take a pulpit in hand, but two on each finger, and go into the marketplaces to his heart's content. Devil take you for a knight-errant, what a lot of things you know! I used to think in my heart that the only thing he knew was what belonged to his chivalry, but there is nothing he won't have a finger in." Sancho muttered this somewhat aloud, and his master overheard him, and asked, "'What art thou muttering there, Sancho?' "'I'm not saying anything, or muttering anything,' said Sancho. "'I was only saying to myself that I wish I had heard what your worship has said just now, before I married. Perhaps I'd say now, the ox that's loose licks himself well. Is I Teresa so bad, then, Sancho?' she is not very bad replied sancho but she is not very good at least she is not as good as i could wish thou dost wrong sancho said don quixote to speak ill of thy wife for after all she is the mother of thy children we are quits returned sancho for she speaks ill of me whenever she takes it into her head, especially when she is jealous, and Satan himself could not put up with her then. 
In fine, they remained three days with the newly married couple, by whom they were entertained and treated like kings. Don Quixote begged the fencing licentiate to find him a guide to show him the way to the cave of Montesinos, as he had a great desire to enter it and see with his own eyes if the wonderful tales that were told of it all over the country were true. The licentiate said he would get him a cousin of his own, a famous scholar, and one very much given to reading books of chivalry, who would have great pleasure in conducting him to the mouth of the very cave, and would show him the lakes of Ruidera, which were likewise famous all over La Mancha, and even all over Spain, and he assured him he would find him entertaining, for he was a youth who could write books good enough to be printed and dedicated to princes. The cousin arrived at last, leading an ass in foal, with a pack-saddle covered with a party-colored carpet or sackcloth. Sancho saddled Rocinante, got Dapple ready, and stocked his alforchas, along with which went those of the cousin, likewise well filled, and so commending themselves to God and bidding farewell to all, they set out, taking the road for the famous cave of Montesinos. On the way Don Quixote asked the cousin of what sort and character his pursuits, avocations, and studies were, to which he replied that he was by profession a humanist, and that his pursuits and studies were making books for the press, all of great utility and no less entertainment to the nation. One was called The Book of Liveries, in which he described seven hundred and three liveries, with their colors, mottoes, and ciphers, from which gentlemen of the court might pick and choose any they fancied for festivals and revels, without having to go a-begging for them from any one, or puzzling their brains, as the saying is, to have them appropriate to their objects and purpose. For, said he, I give the jealous, the rejected, the forgotten, the absent, what will suit them, and fit them without fail. I have another book, too, which I shall call Metamorphoses, or the Spanish Ovid, one of rare and original invention for imitating Ovid in burlesque style. I show in it who the Giralda of Seville and the Angel of the Magdalena were, what the sewer of Vesinguera at Cordova was, what the bulls of Gusando, the Sierra Morena, the Legitanos, and the Lavapis fountains at Madrid, not forgetting those of the Piojo, of the Cano Dorado, and of the Priora, all with their allegories, metaphors, and changes, so that they are amusing, interesting, and instructive all at once. Another book I have, which I call The Supplement to Polydore Virgil, which treats of the invention of things, and is a work of great erudition and research, for I establish and elucidate elegantly some things of great importance, which Polydore omitted to mention. He forgot to tell us who was the first man in the world that had a cold in his head, and who was the first to try salivation for the French disease but I give it accurately set forth, and quote more than five-and-twenty authors in proof of it, so you may perceive I have labored to good purpose, and that the book will be of service to the whole world. Sancho, who had been very attentive to the cousin's words, said to him, Tell me, senor, and God give you luck in printing your books, can you tell me, for of course you know, as you know everything, who was the first man that scratched his head? for to my thinking it must have been our father Adam. 
so it must replied the cousin for there is no doubt that adam had a head and hair and being the first man in the world he would have scratched himself sometimes so i think said sancho but now tell me who was the first tumbler in the world really brother answered the cousin i could not at this moment say positively without having investigated it i will look it up when i go back to where i have my books and will satisfy you the next time we meet for this will not be the last time look here senor said sancho don't give yourself any trouble about it for i have just this minute hit upon what i asked you the first tumbler in the world you must know was lucifer when they cast or pitched him out of heaven for he came tumbling into the bottomless pit you are right friend said the cousin and said don quixote sancho that question and answer are not thine own thou hast heard them from some one else hold your peace senor said sancho faith if i take to asking questions and answering i'll go on from this till to-morrow morning nay to ask foolish things and answer nonsense i needn't go looking for help from my neighbors thou hast said more than thou art aware of sancho said don quixote for there are some who weary themselves out in learning and proving things that after they are known and proved are not worth a farthing to the understanding or memory in this and other pleasant conversation the day went by and that night they put up at a small hamlet whence it was not more than two leagues to the cave of montesinos so the cousin told don quixote adding that if he was bent upon entering it it would be requisite for him to provide himself with ropes so that he might be tied and lowered into its depths don quixote said that even if it reached to the bottomless pit he meant to see where it went to so they bought about a hundred fathoms of rope and next day at two in the afternoon they arrived at the cave the mouth of which is spacious and wide but full of thorn and wild fig bushes and brambles and briars so thick and matted that they completely close it up and cover it over on coming within sight of it the cousin sancho and don quixote dismounted and the first two immediately tied the latter very firmly with ropes and as they were girding and swathing him sancho said to him mind what you were about master mine don't go burying yourself alive or putting yourself where you'll be like a bottle put to cool in a well it's no affair or business of your worships to become the explorer of this which must be worse than a moorish dungeon tie me and hold thy peace said don quixote for an impraise like this friend sancho was reserved for me and said the guide i beg of you senor don quixote to observe carefully and examine with a hundred eyes everything that is within there perhaps there may be some things for me to put into my book of transformations the drum is in hands that will know how to beat it well enough said sancho panza when he had said this and finished the tying which was not over the armor but only over the doublet don quixote observed it was careless of us not to have provided ourselves with a small cattle-bell to be tied on the rope close to me the sound of which would show that i was still descending and alive but as that is out of the question now in god's hand be it to guide me 
and forthwith he fell on his knees and in a low voice offered up a prayer to heaven imploring god to aid him and grant him success in this to all appearance perilous and untried adventure and then exclaimed aloud o mistress of my actions and movements illustrious and peerless dulcinea del toboso if so be the prayers and supplications of this fortunate lover can reach thy ears by thy incomparable beauty i entreat thee to listen to them for they but ask thee not to refuse me thy favour and protection now that i stand in such need of them i am about to precipitate to sink, to plunge myself into the abyss that is here before me, only to let the world know that while thou dost favor me there is no impossibility I will not attempt and accomplish. With these words he approached the cavern, and perceived that it was impossible to let himself down or effect an entrance except by sheer force or cleaving a passage. So drawing his sword, he began to demolish and cut away the brambles at the mouth of the cave, at the noise of which a vast multitude of crows and choughs flew out of it so thick and so fast that they knocked Don Quixote down, and if he had been as much of a believer in augury as he was a Catholic Christian, he would have taken it as a bad omen, and declined to bury himself in such a place." He got up, however, and as there came no more crows or night-birds like the bats that flew out at the same time with the crows, the cousin and Sancho, giving him rope, he lowered himself into the depths of the dread cavern, and as he entered it Sancho sent his blessing after him, making a thousand crosses over him, and saying, God, and the Pena de Francia, and the Trinity of Gaeta guide thee, flower and cream of knights-errant, there thou goest, thou dare-devil of the earth, heart of steel, arm of brass. Once more God guide thee and send thee back safe, sound, and unhurt to the light of this world thou art leaving, to bury thyself in the darkness thou art seeking there. And the cousin offered up almost the same prayers and supplications. Don Quixote kept calling to them to give him rope, and more rope, and they gave it out little by little, and by the time the calls which came out of the cave as out of a pipe ceased to be heard, they had let down the hundred fathoms of rope. They were inclined to pull Don Quixote up again, as they could give him no more rope. However, they waited about half an hour, at the end of which time they began to gather in the rope again, with great ease and without feeling any weight which made them fancy Don Quixote was remaining below, and persuaded that it was so, Sancho wept bitterly, and hauled away in great haste in order to settle the question. When, however, they had come to, as it seemed, rather more than eighty fathoms, they felt a weight, at which they were greatly delighted, and at last at ten fathoms more they saw Don Quixote distinctly, and Sancho called out to him, saying, "'Welcome back, Signor, for we had begun to think you were going to stop there to found a family.' But Don Quixote answered not a word, and drawing him out entirely, they perceived he had his eyes shut, and every appearance of being fast asleep." They stretched him out on the ground and untied him, but still he did not awake. 
however they rolled him back and forwards and shook and pulled him about so that after some time he came to himself stretching himself just as if he were waking up from a deep and sound sleep and looking about him he said god forgive you friends ye have taken me away from the sweetest and most delightful existence and spectacle that ever human being enjoyed or beheld now indeed do i know that all the pleasures of this life pass away like a shadow and a dream or fade like the flower of the field o oh, ill-fated montesinos o oh, sore-wounded durandarte o oh, unhappy belerma o oh, tearful galiana and ye o oh, hapless daughters of ruidera who show in your waves the tears that flowed from your beauteous eyes the cousin and sancho panza listened with deep attention to the words of don quixote who uttered them as though with immense pain he drew them up from his very bowels they begged of him to explain himself and tell them what he had seen in that hell down there hell do you call it said don quixote call it by no such name for it does not deserve it as ye shall soon see he then begged them to give him something to eat as he was very hungry they spread the cousin's sackcloth on the grass and put the stores of the alforjas into requisition and all three sitting down lovingly and sociably they made a luncheon and a supper of it all in one and when the sackcloth was removed don quixote of la mancha said let no one rise and attend to me my sons both of you End chapter twenty two Don Quixote de la Mancha, Book Two, Chapters Twenty One and Twenty Two, read for you by Ted DeLorme in Fort Mill, South Carolina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain.